0: Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Luke 24:13 through 20, 35. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 884. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word.
1: Just a little housekeeping for this sermon. I felt like... um, the, the one point that needed to be made um, in this sermon would uh, best be made by me focusing on verses 13 through 27, so uh, really won't get into verses 28 through 35, maybe. Uh, in a future sermon, we'll, um, we'll do that. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I ask that you would uh, give us Uh, ears and eyes and hearts that are open to not only see, but um, understand your word. And Lord, not only understand it, but uh, to have the same response as these uh, two travelers on the Emmaus Road, that uh, our hearts would burn within us as we hear the word of Christ. I ask this in his name. Amen. So, if you saw the church sign as you drove up or as you drove past this week, uh, you will have seen that Jeremy and I are pushing back against the raging relativism that is so aggressively taking hold in our nation. Uh, If you did not see it, the sign says, "'Truth is not your private narrative.'" Uh, For the past few months, we have stopped putting the sermon title on the signs, and we are now putting up biblical truths that our community desperately needs to hear, but are progressively um, pushing away and disfavoring. Uh, This morning, we are going to be reminded of just how powerful truth is, and in particular, Uh, biblical truth from God's Word. The fact that the earth uh, revolves around the sun is God's truth. The fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is God's truth. The fact of gravity is God's truth and we could go on. I think you get the idea. But But God's Word in the Bible is the truth that undergirds all the other truth. It's In the Bible, God has revealed himself as the creator of all things. He has revealed himself as the judge of what is right and what is wrong. He has defined how we are to view ourselves. He has defined how we are to view our world. He has defined how we are to relate to him. Without his word, we would define all things, unsurprisingly... In relation to ourselves which uh, that's what we're doing and that's why we are in the predicament we are as a society we live in a very un- uncaring and self-absorbed society because we place our self and our own concerns at the center as we have rejected revelation from God's Word this passage is so interesting that it's easy to overlook the real purpose of this passage. So it will be my task this morning to help us see through these remarkable events of this passage. Uh, Although all all the events here are important and are part of God's Word, but there is one um, lesson that the Lord Jesus is teaching that I think is so important for our day and age. So, I want to make sure that we get to that point, kind of sit down on that point, not, not miss that point. So, um, I felt like maybe I should cut the, um, my comments off at verse 27. Uh, I do intend... Um, Another little housekeeping note on this passage. I too intend to go back and cover verses 25 through 27 uh, as a separate sermon in itself. Uh, Our passage takes place on the same day that Jesus had risen from the dead. Verse 13 emphasizes this by saying, that very day. It was the uh, same day that uh, the women um, were, uh, were coming back from the, the tomb, finding it empty. It was just later in the day that these two uh, people are walking back um, to their hometown of Emmaus. Now, from verses 33 through 35, we know that they were followers of Christ. In fact, they were part of Jesus' inner circle, even though they were not one of the 11 disciples. The village of Emmaus was about seven miles away. We know the name of one of these people traveling to uh, Emmaus. Uh, The name of one of them was Cleopas uh, in verse 18. So verse 18 says, Then one of them named Cleopas, Answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these in these days? It's a virtual certainty that this Cleopas is the same one that's mentioned in John chapter nineteen, verse twenty-five, whose wife was named Mary, and she was at uh, the cross with. Uh, two other Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, Cleopas's wife, Mary, may have been the other unnamed traveler along the Emmaus Road. So it may have been the husband and wife of uh, Cleopas and Mary traveling back to their hometown of Emmaus. And they were crushed and confused that Jesus had been crucified. It was unthinkable to them that he was now dead. And the phrase at the end of verse 17 seems to perfectly capture their mood. So in verse 17, uh, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And it says here, and they stood still looking sad they're they're grieving deeply so what had happened was jesus had walked up upon them as they were walking and talking about the 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 bewildering events of the past few days and supernaturally his identity is hidden from them this strikes me frankly as a bit funny Uh, that Jesus is walking up on them. They had been one of his close followers. They knew who he was, but he's walking up, and he's asking them, um, what are you talking about without revealing his identity? Now, why is Jesus doing this? Why is he walking up on them very intentionally and then asking them, about what they're talking about without revealing his identity to them. That's the real mystery of this passage, it seems to me. Well, I think that Jesus is doing this because he wanted to have this conversation with them. Further, and more importantly for us, he wanted this conversation to be recorded by Luke, to be read by us. The lesson that Jesus intends for us to learn here from this passage is vital. And we'll come to that lesson a little later in uh, our text as we get to verses uh, 25 through 27. But the conversation basically goes like this. Jesus plays dumb about what the two travelers are talking about. He knows full well what they are talking about. Um, so Cleopas said to him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Uh, that's, uh, he's basically saying, How are you so out of the loop when you were in Jerusalem and everybody in the city is talking about this? And I love Jesus' res- response. He says, well, What things? Uh, I don't know how he was able to keep from breaking a little grim when he, when he said, Oh, well, what things? When he was at the center of everything, he knew full well what things that uh, had happened in Jerusalem. It's almost like a practical joke, but it isn't. And it, it just strikes me as being funny, as maybe Jesus and his sense of humor here. What things? happened? Well, only the the most important events in all of human history up to this point. Cleopas and his companion, which is maybe Mary, uh, they give Jesus a very expansive answer to his question. They told him about the chief priest and the rulers delivering Jesus up to be crucified three days ago and about the reports that they had heard from the women who had gone to finish the burial process, that the women, when they got to the tomb, did not find the body, but they came back and said that a vision of angels, actually, I think that's um, uh, the disciples maybe adding that a vision of angels, because they actually saw the angels and spoke to the angels. Um, so They came back and some angels had told them that Jesus was alive. Even some of the 11 disciples had also visited the empty tomb. We know from John's gospel that uh, Peter and John had gone and they found it empty as well. And so this had been reported to Cleopas and his traveling companion. This was not... Uh, unknown to them. So they tell Jesus about it. And all this was true, but these two travelers on the Emmaus Road were not able to take these different facts and put them together and come to the conclusion that they should have come to. In spite of all the evidence, they still believed that Jesus was dead. So the question is, why are they being so stubborn in their unbelief about the resurrection? I think the reason can be found in verse 21. Verse 21 says, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. They were looking for a political uh, savior. They were looking for one who would deliver Israel from the clutches of Rome. But when the Romans nailed him to the cross and Jesus breathed his last, all their hopes were dashed. Jesus is dead. There's nothing left for us to do but go back home to Emmaus. As we saw in last week's sermon, Jesus had been very clear uh, with his disciples, with his followers, that he would suffer many things, that he would be rejected by the religious leaders, that he would be killed, and on the third day he would rise from the dead. Um, He even told them that the Old Testament had had foretold this centuries earlier. But there's no room in the mind for Cleopas and his companion um, that this could be true, even with the witness of the women and the empty tomb. I'm sure that their deep grief is clouding their thinking to some extent. Uh, When people are in despondency, they can be very determined to hear everything as bad news. Uh, My daughters were particularly uh, uh, fond of doing this. When, When things were going bad, everything was bad. When things were going bad, uh, Mandy and I didn't love them enough all their friends had turned their backs on them and you know you could not convince them that that there was any blessing in their life if uh they chipped a fingernail or or something you know uh so in our in empathetic age we might have expected Jesus to speak words of comfort to them in their grief you know they're there there I understand how devastated and crushed you must feel, but that's not our Lord Jesus. (laughs) Look what he says in verses 25 through 27. He says to them, "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. When Jesus calls them foolish, uh, the Greek, the, the sense is he's calling them thick-headed and obtuse. When he says that they are slow of heart to believe all that, the, that uh, the prophets have spoken, he's telling them that they are stubbornly hanging on to preconceived notions of a political Messiah rather than embracing the clear teaching of Scripture. Obviously, these two travelers believe the Bible... They seem devout, but they don't believe all of it. They did not want a Messiah who could get himself imprisoned and handed over to the Romans and nailed to the cross. That's not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. Their interpretation and Bible of the Bible and their reading of the Bible did not make room for a Messiah that would go to the cross that would suffer, that would die and have to be raised on the third day. Their issue is one of the most overlooked strategies of unbelief that there is. People come to Jesus with their preconceived notions about who he is, and then they cram him into the mold that they have made of Jesus and um, so that they have a Jesus that serves them. They have a Jesus that moves at their will. They have a Jesus that they control. There are a lot of people sitting in churches this morning worshiping a false Jesus that they have fashioned for themselves. They refuse to read and study the scriptures to find out who he really is. They want the bare minimum Jesus so they can get eternal life and they can get the blessings that they need in this life but they really don't want a relationship with him. Worshiping a false Jesus will not secure you eternal life or a relationship with God or the blessings that we long for here in this life. Are there any here this morning who are worshiping a Jesus of your own making? A lot of churches... Not only individual Christians, but a lot of churches are guilty of refashioning Jesus to be a false savior so they can grow the church faster. They refashion Jesus and his gospel into a decision that you make when you walk the aisle, but that does not require a life of faith and repentance. Others have refashioned Jesus to make him mean and scary. So that all that is preached is hellfire and damnation. And so they scare people into a relationship with Jesus. And still others have refashioned Jesus into a self-help seminar leader. He will make your marriage happier. He'll make your life more purposeful. He'll make your emotions more joyful without ever having to acknowledge your sinfulness or your need of repentance. Love, 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 joy, happiness, and lollipops. And that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The crux of the matter is that these travelers have not believed all the scriptures. They've believed many of them, but not all. And this is vital that we understand what Jesus is saying here. The scriptures are sufficient for someone to believe that Christ has risen from the dead. Jesus had this long conversation with these two travelers to teach us that all that is needed for someone to believe is the scriptures and the scriptures alone. There are people in this world that, don't, that are putting conditions on God. I'm not going to believe until you reveal yourself in some way. I'm not going to believe until you reveal yourself uh, or, or bless me in some way. All we need in order to believe in Jesus Christ is the Holy Scriptures. That's the point of Jesus's having this conversation with um, these tra- two travelers on the road. The s- churches these days are putting putting more emphasis on programs, on budgets, on personalities, and entertainment than on the clear teaching and preaching of Holy Scripture. Romans 10, verse 17 is clear. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. The Word of God is the power of God. When the Word of God is read and studied, taught and preached, the power of God is unleashed in our soul. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to transform our lives. Martin Luther, who probably no one was used as greatly except for the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul to transform um, the world for Christ, Martin Luther says, I've done nothing. The Word has done and accomplished everything. Scripture taught very clearly that the Messiah must suffer before he entered into glory. So again, verse 25 through 27. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. We could look all over the Old Testament To show that what Jesus is saying here is the case. I plan to do that two Sundays from now. Um, And two Sundays doesn't imply that we are not having church on Christmas morning. Jeremy's preaching on Sunday, uh, on Christmas morning. And then I'm preaching on New Year's Day. So it'll be two Sundays from now and I want to focus on verses 25 through 27. Why did... Why did Jesus need to suffer? It says he, it was necessary that he suffered. Well, first of all, to, uh, to fulfill prophecy, but more to the point, to atone for our sins. Jesus is the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, who bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, who was smitten by God and afflicted. He was the one who was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And it was necessary that he rise from the dead. If our Lord Jesus did not suffer uh, on the cross, if he did not bleed and die, if he did not uh, go to the grave and rise from the dead, none of us would have forgiveness of sins. None of us would have a relationship with God. That would all be impossible. The only way you can have a relationship with God, the only way your sins can be forgiven, the only way you can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, his glorious resurrection, and his Holy Spirit changing your heart and drawing you to the Lord Jesus. That's the only way you can have a relationship with God. And Cleopas and his companion should have known this. And there is no reason why you should not know this uh, if you do not believe. If you don't believe, I challenge you, take up the Bible and read it, study it, submit yourself, submit your faith to it because it is God's word. And take heart if you're intimidated. It's not your intellectual prowess that will give you insight. Rather, God is the one who opens people's eyes to see the glory of God, to see the the salvation that Christ accomplished on the cross. He is the one who works faith and repentance in you as you read the scriptures. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God in our life. Read it. Study it. Families, take it up and read it together as a family. Don't neglect the Word of God. It is God's Word for you and for me. Christian, the sufficiency of Scripture means that you must take it up and read it regularly. Make it a goal for uh, 2023. I'm going to be sending out a congregational uh, reading plan for our congregation uh, before the new year. And if you have trouble reading the scriptures, I hope that this will encourage you and you can build a habit. Again, it's God's word and God uses his word. His Holy Spirit who lives inside us opens the eyes of our heart to his word. Why would we neglect it? Read and study His Word. Not only do you need it, our nation, our society needs it. Truth is not your private narrative. Truth belongs to God. And if you are well grounded in His truth, in His Word, you are better able to be a citizen to those in our nation, in our society that do not know God and desperately need to know him. The only hope our country has is a citizenry that knows God's word and is standing upon it. Read his word as we pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this conversation that you had with uh, these true travelers along the Emmaus Road, and Lord, I ask that you would uh, make us a people of the Word. Make us Bible people, Lord. Make us uh, so full of Scriptures that um, that we we believe uh, the Scriptures. Oh God, I pray uh, for our congregation. I pray for all the churches that love the Lord Jesus. May your word be the lamp unto our feet, the path uh, that we follow, we ask in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.